In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to expand just briefly on the good news that I preached Palm Sunday. Um, it's not a sequel, so you don't have to have been there. Don't worry. But on Palm Sunday, we proclaim this good news, that the passion of Jesus Christ shows us the two deepest truths about us, about our humanity. It reveals the horror of sin and evil, what we've done to the world, to each other, and to ourselves. And in the same moment, it reveals the depths of God's love for us and the potency of God's power to save us. The, pro the cross proclaims that we are more broken than we imagine and also more loved than we can fathom. This good news reverberates throughout Holy Week and rings through the scriptures that we read this evening. First, we see the depths of brokenness and sin. Sin is not just concrete actions like lying or stealing. Sin is deeper than that. It refers to the tragic irony that our best ideas and our best efforts for bringing goodness to ourselves and to those we care about inevitably results in tragedy, in oppression, in violence, in death. We see this in the Old Testament and the Gospel readings that we read tonight. Jephthah, wanting to win victory for Israel, a good thing. He wants a good thing. He makes a vow to sacrifice whatever or whoever comes out of his house. It's a rash vow when he returns from the battle. Jephthah imagines God to be rigid, unyielding, unwilling to help humans unless a bargain is struck, a sacrifice promised. The God that Jephthah imagines is also unwilling to forgive a rash vow, even if it means the death of his own daughter, his only child. Jephthah doesn't question this theology. He doesn't argue with God like Abraham does. He doesn't offer himself in his daughter's place. He does not fight in any way for the life of his child. Side note. The God we imagine has profound effects in the real world. Yeah? The God of Jephthah's imagination brings about the death of his daughter. Likewise, in our day, the God imagined by rigid patriarchal systems brings about the real world oppression and silencing of women who are seen as expendable for the greater good. Our gospel reading, of course, gives us another brutal death that was thought to be for the greater good. The religious elite see Jesus as a threat to what? Their hopes and dreams for their nation. They want goodness for their country and for their people. And Jesus seems to be a threat to that. And so they see no other choice but to get rid of him. This is the tragic irony of sin. This is what we are caught up in. That our best idea on how to secure life for ourselves is to kill the source of life. The cross reveals that sin, uh, that, that horror of sin and evil, but at the same moment, with unparalleled clarity, the cross reveals the infinite depths of God's love for us 
and the invincible potency of God's power to save us. In the passion of Christ, God takes the worst that we have to offer and actually makes it into the means by which we are saved. It's remarkable. In contrast to Jephthah sacrificing a daughter to an imagined God, in Christ, God becomes the sacrifice that we thought was needed. Christ offers Himself on the cross, not a rash vow. Himself, His flesh for the life of the world, absorbing our violence, emptying it of its power, destroying death by His death. The song we sang, Joel, did you write that? Joel wrote that song. I was struck by this line, every death he has died. Every death he has also died. Christ has participated in our sufferings, joins himself to our sufferings and our deaths. And now God's spirit abides and hides in every anguished heart. The cross proclaims that we are indeed more broken than we imagine but more loved than we can fathom. God saves us through the cross. Now here's the Good Friday expansion to that Palm Sunday good news. The pathway that God offers us as a gift, the pathway of salvation that God offers us as a gift is the way of the cross. So salvation is not a transaction whereby we receive a benefit like an insurance policy or a consumer product that we pay for. Salvation is our participation in a new kind of life. It's God's life, divine life, that God shares with us, and Jesus shows us the shape of that divine life. It's shaped like a cross. It's a self-emptying life. That's God's life that God shares with us, that we participate in. This is our salvation. So God doesn't save us without our participation, because God's not coercive. God does not coerce. God does not overwhelm. God woos. God calls. God suffers. God invites. Invites us to trust. And so this is why Jesus in the Gospels is always inviting his disciples to follow him to the cross. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to go to the cross, and so you're not going to have to worry about anything. Relax. Why does he keep saying, take up your cross? Follow me to the cross. To be a Christian is to participate in the cross. It's to participate in the sufferings of Christ and also to share in the resurrection of Christ. It's an invitation to a pattern of life defined by the cross, dying to the good that we think we can do in our own strength and rising to something new that God creates for us to participate in together. One of my favorite Bible teachers was Dallas Willard. And he said this, Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus went to the cross to empower us to join him there. Why? Because the resurrection life that God wants to share with us comes only through death. It comes through the cross. We don't earn anything by embracing the cross. It's all a gift. But the path of salvation is the way of the cross. There's no way around that. So, That's my invitation to us tonight. As the Hebrew writer said, let's put aside every weight and entangling sin and with the endurance 
and with endurance run the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus as the originator and the perfecter of our faith. Let us walk in the way of the cross with Jesus, trusting that we will find it to be none other than the way of life and peace. So what does it look like for you to walk in the way of the cross? Two ideas. Perhaps it's giving time and space to lament the ways that our allegiance to the gods of our imagination has brought about so much suffering in our world. Weeping with Jephthah's daughter and her girlfriends over a patriarchal system that makes them expendable resources for the greater good. Weeping with families of kids gunned down in schools over the apathy of their governing officials and governing politicians who just want to maintain the status quo because it keeps money flowing into their pockets and expels those who protest this situation. Weeping with Peter over the fickleness of our own hearts, our own unfaithfulness, our own self-preservation that's born out of so much fear of death. So perhaps it's lament, taking time to feel the weight of those sufferings. And perhaps it's also praying for grace and courage to joyfully accept the suffering of shame and loss that may come when we choose embodied solidarity with the marginalized and the oppressed, when we throw our lot in with theirs. So in the silence that follows, I invite you to commune with God about these things trusting that while it is true that we are more broken than we imagine, we are also more loved than we can fathom. And the very place where our sin is most clearly revealed has become for us the place of forgiveness. The instrument of shame and death has become the way of healing and life. Beloved, as we walk the way of the cross, we will indeed find it none other than the way of life and peace. Don't be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.